0: Welcome to Doing the Work, Frontline Stories of Social Change, where we bring you stories of real people working to address real issues. I am your host, Shimon Cohen. Thank you to FIU's Disability Resource Center for providing transcription services. In this episode, I talk with T. Marie King and Abigail Schneider of the Jefferson County Memorial Project, JCMP, in Birmingham, Alabama. T. Marie is a community activist, organizer, and JCMP core coalition member. Abigail is the JCMP project director. They explain that JCMP came together to answer the call from the Equal Justice Initiative for the 800 counties across the United States with documented lynchings to retrieve their monument from the National Memorial for Peace and Justice and place it in their county. They talk about their work to recognize and honor the victims of lynching in Jefferson County, beginning with research into who the 30 documented lynching victims were, their lives, and their humanity. T. Marie tells the story of her great-uncle Ed Bracey, who was murdered by a racist white mob in 1935 for organizing sharecroppers. They also discussed their educational outreach and advocacy work for racial justice, as well as how they got into this work. I hope this conversation inspires you to action. T. Marie and Abigail, thank you both so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really honored to have you on here and talk about such an important topic that often isn't discussed. So, you know, to get things started, I was hoping you could talk about what led you to do this work.
1: Well, I can start. Um, This is T. Marie. You know, I've been doing community organizing and activism work for a while, and what was so key to me about this project was that a lot of times we don't want to go deep into history and um, resurface those things that may have been brushed over. And with the, you know, coming online of the, you know, Equal Justice Initiative and the Legacy Museum, I thought it was something worth being a part of to kind of push people towards having those difficult conversations but also hopefully creating opportunities for people to find their way to healing if that's what they needed.
2: And for me, I think the United States generally has done a massive disservice to our country with the ways in which we have uh, repressed and rewritten and erased large parts of our history. And we're ready to have a discussion that more clearly links the issues of slavery to Convict leasing to racial terrorism to the new to Jim Crow to mass incarceration and really use our history to explain the issues of racial injustice that exist within our society today. Um, and JCMP has allowed us to start having that conversation within Jefferson County in Alabama.
0: And T. Marie, am I right that you are actually a descendant of Ed Bracey, who who is a lynching victim? Yes. Could you speak a little bit about what that history means to you and how that also is part of why you're involved with this work?
1: Uh, Sure. I've always known the story about um, my great uncle and what caused um, him to be murdered, you know, which was his um, organization of um, sharecroppers in Lowndes County. And so I've always known the story, grew up knowing the story. And was, you know, and very proud that, you know, he was somebody who, you know, was working to bring his community together and to push change in his community, you know, and this is in the thirties, you know, and Lowndes County has its own deep history of lynchings and, and terror there, you know, there's a book called Bloody Lowndes that really goes into a lot of detail about what happened there. Um. But it was a shock to me to see a jar with his name on it when we all visited um, the Legacy Museum. Um, Because in my mind, I didn't think, in my mind, I knew he wasn't lynched in the typical way of being lynched, you know, but he was mob killed. Mm. And so getting the understanding that they were actually highlighting all um, terror killings, including lynchings. um, I felt it was kind of eerie when I realized that he was being memorialized there. Um, but yet still feeling proud because I knew the work that he was doing. And, you know, I'm one of those rare people that knows the story of those, of the, of somebody that they're connected to that's been, you know, lynched or, you know, killed in this manner. Um, a lot of people don't have those additional stories to humanize the people that were taken.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate you talking about that. And, you know, what both of you said is that there haven't been conversations about this, right? So people haven't known stories within their own families um, and the community needs to have these conversations. So what do those conversations look like and how does that connect to the work you're doing?
2: So before uh, we decided we could have these conversations, it was first necessary for us to do the research. So who were the 30 documented victims within Jefferson County? What were their lives like before they were lynched? Because sometimes when you enter this conversation, the first fact you know about someone is that they were murdered. And that can dehumanize them over again because you forget that they were sons and fathers or newlyweds and they had just moved to Birmingham for a new job at the steel mine um, and and did extra... in. We're part of a church in the neighborhood. So we first, before we felt we were ready to have that conversation, is that we need to understand who these individuals were. So we created this uh, fellowship called the Jefferson County Memorial Project Fellows, which took college students from all parts of Jefferson County and all different majors and backgrounds and gave them the tools to do that research to for us to better understand who these individuals were. Um, and we published that. Report last February in 2018 and now that we have this research and understanding about who these men and women were We've now been using that to start these conversations uh, Through educating the public Um, and team Marie leads the majority of that public education for this county So I'm gonna let her discuss ways in which we uh, use different mediums and models to enter this conversation
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we wanted to give people entry points to the conversation We didn't want people to feel like we were forcing or throwing them in the deep end to really dig deep into talking about lynching, but we wanted to give them access points. So for public education, we've done a movie screening. We screened the film Slavery by Another Name to kind of give voice and information to convict leasing and how slavery evolved into convict leasing. Um, We had a countywide book discussion where we picked picked a few books and we asked, we asked community members, you know, get with your peers and choose a book and read the book together and discuss it. Um, We also had a public forum where we looked at mass incarceration and the criminal justice system. But what was unique about that conversation was it wasn't just people who haven't experienced these things talking about it. We actually had people on the panel who had actually spent time in prison and were now out. So what better way than to hear from people who have actually experienced the system to be able to say, you know what, this is what's working. This is what's not working. And we would like to be at the table so we can help change these things. And so we're looking at things with youth now of how we can get younger students involved. And we're also looking at how to get artists involved. Um, we've also had art exhibitions where we've invited people to come out and see different art. Um, and so just giving people different entry points for where they feel comfortable. Um, to start the conversation
2: and one of the things that wraps around all these discussions um, Especially in one one way. We have these conversations is through JCMP trainings Which are capped 20 to 30 person sessions where we read profiles of these victims and discuss what it means to Have these conversations with friends or family members or coworkers or people who might not see themselves as social justice People or people who care about this history And really empowering those who come to our events to bring others to them. Because at the end of the day, if you come to something that we're hosting, you probably already get it. You realize there's an issue, you want to learn how you can help. But to really change the historical narrative of our county and then also advocate for change, we need to empower those to bring others, bring their friends to our events. So we're expanding who thinks that this is an issue that we need to address.
0: So what's been the response like in the community? to these conversations? And also, you know, has that response been different within the Black community compared to within the white community?
1: I would say overall, we've had a very positive response. I have had people within the Black community that are older, um, that would probably feel a different attachment to this history than, you know, somebody my age or younger that have asked, why are we bringing this back up? Mm. Um, Why are we having these conversations? But I understand trauma and that, you know, some people, how they experience um, certain things, they may have seen, you know, some of these behaviors. So it's going to hit them differently. Um, My my charge is always, you know, we want to unmask this, uncover it, and be honest about where, where we are in society, but what led us to this place? And the only way we can get to that is by being truthful about all the things that have taken place in society. And so I'd normally have that conversation um, and people either they agree or they don't. Um, but I think we have definitely maintained the respect of community members, even if they don't necessarily want to be up close on it.
2: And the thing I'd add to that from sort of the, some parts of the white community, definitely, especially because we are in Birmingham and they They see Atlanta, and they say Atlanta's the city that's too busy to hate, which is clearly problematic and false. Or they see Nashville, the the music city, and they say, why does Birmingham have to continually be tied to its past again? Why can't we move on? And, And our response to that is that historically, Birmingham has been the national leader in these discussions around racial injustice. And these are pressing issues that affect our society today. So we see this as a necessary conversation that needs to happen in the present to change
0: our future as well. Absolutely. I think it's an incredibly necessary conversation. And I'm so glad that you're both on here to have it because I think people who listen to the podcast are going to find this an important conversation as well. And I hope it starts to influence the work that they do.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So, you know, you talked about, um, I know we're going to, we're going to talk some more about the work you do, but a couple of things that you brought up got me thinking about the healing aspect to this work. And the trauma that people have experienced, not just people who um, witnessed these events, these murders, this racial terror and violence, but the, but the generational impact of this. And you're talking also about mass incarceration and there's generational impacts to that as well. So could you talk about the healing aspect of this and how like the justice part of it and the healing Kind of work together?
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, one of the things we wanted to be sensitive about was that you can't force anybody to want to heal, to want to forgive, or to even try to place people in that position of you have to, it's time to move forward. But what we wanted to do was create pathways that healing could take place. We do know that, you know, we throw around words like reconciliation, we throw around um, restorative justice but that only happens when the people that have been harmed feel restored or reconciled, you know, but we want to give people um, the opportunity to either confront those things or at least be equipped on how to even process maybe the pain or the hurt that they're dealing with. And that may be actually going to the Memorial in Montgomery and visiting it. It may be participating in a discussion around trauma or a panel, um, but giving people the tools, but also giving them opportunities to kind of, if not understand their pain, understand the cause behind it. And hopefully that moves them towards wanting to heal just a little bit more.
0: Yeah. Something I wrote down as you were speaking is, can there be healing without justice?
1: And see, and that's the thing, you know, how do we, how do you reconcile that? You know, when you're talking about thousands upon thousands of men and women and children that have been lynched, terrorized, you know, they're not here to get that justice. You know, some of them go so far back in time, you know, they don't have descendants here. You know, some of them probably weren't able to even get to a place to get married and have kids that could carry on their name. So how do you reconcile that? I think where it starts with is us being honest and telling the truth about what happened to these men and women and children and saying let's at least own it and acknowledge that this happened. I think that's where healing can start is with truth and acknowledgment. And for those who are able and ready to 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 say I'm ready to heal from this, awesome great. But those who say, you know, I need a little more time, you know, it's okay. They have the liberty to do that. But yeah, it's not our goal to force anybody to, but we want them to know the opportunity is there.
0: Right, absolutely. And that the work you're doing is about justice for what happened, even though that concept seems so monumental and unattainable.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: And I think I'd also add that it's clear for us, we also don't want people, specifically white people, to kind of feel off the hook, like, oh, we put up a monument, we've placed some historical markers we've recognized this history our work is done so when, when we're talking about justice we also don't just sort of mean it metaphorically but we we also mean it our system of mass incarceration and criminal justice and the racism that's still embedded into the majority of the instit- our institutions in the united states are the injustices that exist today and a large part of jcmp is well they're the four pillars research educate place advocate so so a part of our work is that advocate what are we doing now in the present to change the injustices that we see exist today to create a more just society?
0: Absolutely. And I actually want to get into those parts of the work that you do because you talked about research and you talked about educate. I was hoping you could talk about place and then we can also move into advocacy.
2: Definitely. So the place comes in twofold. The first is uh, as was mentioned before, the National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery has put out this national call to action for the 800 counties where racial terror violence occurred. And it's important to note that those, that those counties aren't just in Alabama. They're not just in the South. They're in all but two states throughout the U.S. So this is a national discussion, and these lynchings happened everywhere around the United States. But EJI has put out a call to these 800 counties saying, come claim your monuments. Not only a national reckoning with its history, but also a local ones. Uh, so we hope to claim our own specific monument that lists the 30 documented victims of Jefferson County within Jefferson County, as well as place specific historical markers near a lynching sites. So these are plaques that usually have about 200 words on them that you see usually in historic districts. recognized two men, Tom Redmond and Jake McKenzie. However, it also gave us the space to talk more broadly about the system of convict leasing and how Birmingham's known as the Magic City because it grew up overnight, but the reason it was able to grow so quickly was because of the convict labor at all of our mines and mills that were powering the city to grow so quickly. So using two different types of monument and historical marker spaces to continually sort of tell a more holistic history of
0: of our county. And what's the process going to look like for um, how many more monuments will you or markers will you end up putting up?
2: We're aiming for about six or seven. So as in most counties, there can sometimes be a larger city that people are most known for. So for instance, in Jefferson County, there's Birmingham, but within Birmingham, within Jefferson County, there's also Bessemer and Irondale and Fairfield and other important cities. And so we're working with Smaller city committees throughout Jefferson County. So they will also all be getting their own historical markers to specifically memorialize the lynchings that took place within their cities. So once we get about five or six of those, then we'll also get this central monument uh, that will list all of the victims.
0: And you were talking about how this is really a national call. And I know that's, you know, a little bit different than the exact work that you're doing. But if people who are listening to this, you know, feel like this is something that they want to get involved in where they live, how would they go about doing that?
2: Uh, Feel free to call us up, uh, email us. We're happy to talk to you more about our work and what we're doing here and what works and what doesn't work. Uh, And then we'd also say reach out to the Equal Justice Initiative. Uh, They have plenty of resources, too. They've been a a partner for us as we've grown our own coalition, and they'll have more information specifically about retrieving your own monument um, and learning more about the specific uh, racial terror acts of racial terror that occurred within your county or
0: state. And I'll put um, in the show notes, I'll put contact information for you and, and for Equal Justice Initiative so that listeners can have access to that right there.
1: Awesome. Good. Thank you.
0: So let's move into the advocacy part of the work you do and how you're um, advocating for racial justice. Could you talk about that work as well?
2: to it right now. The first is all of the education that we're doing within the county, whether it's the high school essay writing contest or our work with the college fellows or the movie screenings or book discussions. We're also teaching a class out at the prison within Jefferson County, the Donaldson Correctional Facility, so that the folks that we have access to there are also part of this discussion. And then on our website, they have a blog where they're able to work with our volunteers on and post uh, their own writings, reflections, poetry in this conversation so that we can really make this a countywide conversation and give more of a platform for a part of our community that a lot of people who aren't directly impacted by the uh, system of mass incarceration are affected with or even know about. Uh, so that's what we're doing right now is trying to increase classes at the correctional facility and work more closely with the adults and juveniles in that facility. And then later down the road, once we've grown our coalition and feel like we've done the necessary education uh, needed to properly advocate for change, we'll be pivoting to something that the community both wants and thinks so that we can effectively make change on, whether that is uh, ending cash bail or restorative justice in high schools or working more closely with the public defender's office. And what that advocacy will look like will really be on what we hear back from the community and where they want to see uh, change
0: occur. I think it's really inspiring the work you're doing. And that might sound like a funny word, given the seriousness of this history, but that you're linking generations in this organizing that you're doing seems pretty powerful to me.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: When you're reaching out to folks who are incarcerated in the work you're doing in the prisons and the jails, I'm assuming they know what the other aspect of the work you're doing in terms of the, the reconciliation and the lynching, the lynchings and the racial terror violence. And is there a connection that they're, that's discussed with them as well?
2: Yeah, definitely. I remember the first time I went out to Donaldson, I was sitting with a group of men discussing our work. And uh, one of the men said, Abigail, can you explain redlining to me? Because they didn't know. They also, in the same way where we have been poorly educated around this history, they too um, don't have the facts yet and want to know the facts to better understand their own history, whether that is specifically around lynching, but also the histories that led in the policies that led some of the societies that these men grew up in. And what were the structures? outside of their own control that have ended them up into the positions that they're in so they are I they're all incredibly hungry to learn this history just as much as the rest of the county is as well
0: yeah I'm glad you mentioned redlining because something that I thought about when we first started connecting about doing this pot this interview was that as a social worker I've had policy classes where redlining was discussed, and a lot of policies were discussed to explain the racial wealth gap that exists today and historically, and how basically thing, why things are the way they are today. But I I was thinking back on it, and you know I don't remember any conversations about lynching. You know I we've t- we talked about mass incarceration for sure, talked about slavery, but really nothing about lynching and and the level of violence from white people towards black people in this country and how the racial wealth gap is directly connected to that.
2: So the way we discuss it in Birmingham is it's easy to think about civil war ending and then fast forward to civil rights. And there's an entire century that occurred within that time and what we see happen once you look into that time is the ways in which white institutions used racial terror violence and the system of convict leasing to ensure that they still had free Black labor at their disposal. So soon after uh, the Civil War, we saw this rise in vagrancy laws. And vagrancy laws were laws that said pretty much if you were a Black man or woman or person of color and you were not employed because you were standing on a corner at night or you were loitering, you could be arrested. And then once you were arrested, the sheriffs of a town would then sell you to the mines, to the farms, to the mills, to then work as free labor for these large corporations again. And to keep this system in place, that's when you saw the rise of racial terror, where white mobs and groups of people or individuals would indiscriminately kill Black men and women to stop any social, economic, or civil rights or mobility to occur and they were usually done publicly. So it's not only the individual and the family that was hurt, but you have these events happening on main streets and public squares and on Saturday nights with with crowds of a hundred or more individuals there watching these events occur. And it's easy to skip over this path because you want to just think about progress in one direction. And the issues of racial terror and convict leasing very much stop that narrative from So as as we think through JCMP, it's really necessary that we don't skip over this century um, and put it back into how we think about our history.
1: Absolutely. And I also think that we have to do a better job uh, at educating ourselves, but also our peers and our children. Um, Earlier this week, I was actually on a panel about redlining and we were discussing what redlining did in Birmingham specifically. And somebody asked during the Q&A, You know, when they're not teaching this in schools. What do we tell our kids? And I'm like, you know, we there is a level of responsibility that I think our educational system plays, but we have to be responsible to make sure our young people and our peers and ourselves are educated on our full history, not just the things that make us look good and makes America this, you know, the place that everybody wants to come to. But no, we have to be honest about the bad parts. You know, those shadows. Um, in history that we want to keep those those truths in the shadow. Um, So I think us educating not only ourselves and becoming, you know, enlightened on different things that we may not have been aware of, but educating our friends and family and making sure our kids understand that this was a part of history. It was not right. But you need to know that this happened so that it's not repeated.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I um I'm Jewish. And the way I grew up was constant stories of the Holocaust, right? Like yeah. con- like from when I was a little kid and um, older folks who were survivors, one of my, my pediatrician was a concentration camp survivor. And that education didn't really happen in our schools, but it happened a lot like in our community, right? And it was always like, we need to know this so it never happens again, right? Never again is like the refrain from that. And that's what we need for this this history right we need that like never again and but the but this um this violence is still happening you know today the, to this day right there was just a recent murder of a tatiana jefferson a black woman yeah. by a you know police off white police officer and you know and then of course the case where the white police officer goes into the wrong Home gets right, thinks it's her apartment and kills both um, John, a black man in his own home, you know. And I think it's absolutely essential we have these conversations as painful as they
1: are. Absolutely, you know, and it's and we really have to challenge that. I'm glad you brought up, you know, your piece of your story because I think all of us are taught to look at the Holocaust as something that we never let happen again. I remember. Hearing stories, you know, coming up of, you know, we don't want this ever to be repeated. But what's so sad is that when it comes to the African American community and it's like, let's move past slavery. Y'all right. need to get over it and right. move on. And it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> get over it. You know, I need y'all to acknowledge that this was legit and it happened and it was real. And it's not that you got a bunch of lazy people, it's that there was a system created to oppress a group of people. And then when slavery was, you know, no more, then it's, you know what, let's create another system (laughs) that will put them where we want them to be. And so it's like it's those things we have to continue to highlight and call out and, 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 and speak truth to power. Like this is what it is. And let's move forward. But you're right. You know, when you have these situations that just recently happened in Texas, that we have to be honest about something has led to this, you know. What is it and what do we need to work through? And so I hope that through our work that it gets people thinking about what role they play, what unconscious bias they're holding and questioning themselves are, am I empathetic to my fellow man? You know, am I sensitive to the things that people who may not look like me are having to experience in society? And then what's the role that I can play in being a part of that change? You know, and that's what I hope comes out of my work Um, Not just with JCMP, but definitely with JCMP, but just in, you know, me interacting with people in general.
0: What do you think are the biggest barriers to the work you're doing?
1: Mm, I think the mindsets of people. I think people get so caught up in, um, I think we're a very selfish society. (laughs) And so people are really focused on their lives, what they experience, their personal journey, and not really looking at. You know what? Somebody may not have had the access that I had. You know, they may not be somebody that just doesn't care. They may not know that this is a resource or this is how you do that. Um, so I think the mindset of people is probably one of the biggest barriers. And so a lot of times I'm working to find that commonality so we can have a starting point. <laughs> you know, and I feel like if if you get to know me and understand the work that I'm trying to do, maybe that'll help you understand somebody else down the road yeah
2: i'd also i fully agree with everything team marie just said um and i'd add to it that i think sometimes people think that when they want to do good if they just give a few hours to it oh i've done my part things are different like now i can go back to to my real work my day job and we have to remember that doing good and and trying to change the systems that exist that's a full-time job and it's really hard work and you need to stay committed to it even when things get difficult, because that's how change happens. I think when the Montgomery bus boycott successfully finished and we saw change and, and the buses were integrated, what you then saw sent out by the activists was 10 different bullet points and rules about what does it mean now to get back on the bus and how do we do that in a way that keeps this movement going. And that incredible attention to detail and what it means to be an activist and keep these movements going is can sometimes be lost. So reminding people that this is not something that will change overnight, but we need to stick with it and give it our time and, and give it our energy when, when we can and we're able to.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I think that's really powerful. And, you know, um, typically we'd be starting to kind of wrap things up, but I do want to ask you both a little bit more uh, because this is, I think, a unique interview that it's the first time I've had two guests on here at the same time. And we there's just so much to cover. Um, Abigail, you know, with what you just said, it just makes me think, like, how did you get to that place? Like, how did you get to the place, and Team Maria, I'm going to ask you the same thing um, as well, but like, how did you get to the place where you have that analysis?
2: Uh, Yeah, I've always had a clear sense of sort of justice and what's right and what's wrong, and I'm also Jewish, and I think Early on, that juxtaposition of how Holocaust memory is told versus how uh, the U.S. have told its own history, even me specifically as a white person, how Black history was told to me, it just, the discrepancy and the, the lies and the erasure were really just concerning to me. And I felt I had privilege and wanted to find ways where I could support these types of activists that have been doing this work way before I was born and for generations and, and help uplift their stories and, and this work and and make it more clear that we're not going to be able to move forward as a nation until we we take the time to do the work to change the issues that exist in, in our society.
1: Mm, for me, my background is actually um, film and video production. Uh, so I've did that for a lot of years. Activism was not on my uh, (laughs) my plan of of my journey, but I had started doing some community work some years back. And in 2015, I was picked to be one of the marchers for the commemorative Selma to Montgomery march. So it was a recreation of that for its 50th anniversary. And we did day for day, like the marchers did. Um, We started where they started, we stopped where they stopped, and we did the. whole 54 miles. And on that time, during that week, we I met so many amazing people from across the U.S., but I met so many foot soldiers that participated in the march, the original march. Hmm. And hearing their stories, I remember the last day sitting on the steps of the Capitol after everything was over and thinking to myself, I can't have had this experience and do nothing with it. You know, I'm in a place now where you know they're not. We're not fighting the same fight they were fighting. You know, it's similar in some ways, but you know, there it was more dangerous. You know, for them marching up Highway 80 from Selma to Montgomery on a two street, <laughs> two lane highway, than for what for us. And I, after that experience, I just could not do anything with it, and so that kind of really helped focus uh, my work. Um, and looking at how could I work to bring people together to experience the compassion and love that I felt on that march.
0: Both of you just have such powerful stories and the work you're doing is so powerful. I want to just kind of open it up to you now to just make sure that you can use this as a platform to get out any additional message you want to put out there.
2: Uh, Before you mention that you think our work is inspiring. And I think for me, what's most inspiring about it is that everything that we've done, whether it's the 60 Jefferson County Memorial Project college fellows that have gone through the program, or the 4,000 people that have come out to our events, or our work with the folks out at the correctional facility, is that it's all done mainly by volunteers. We have about 150 volunteers from throughout Jefferson County that are working towards this because they've stepped up and found the time and, and wanted to get involved and help change the community that they're a part of. And it's been really remarkable through our volunteers and through the 40 community partners that we have, and the ways in which we've seen this this community coalesce around this work. So it's, it's really beautiful to see people give their time to this painful and, and evil history.
1: I agree with Abigail. <laughs>
0: Well, I want to thank you both for coming on here and I want to thank you both for doing the work in the community.
1: Thank you. Thank you you for having us.
0: Thank you for listening to Doing the Work, Frontline Stories of Social Change. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please follow on Twitter and leave positive reviews on iTunes. If you're interested in being a guest or know someone who's doing great work, please get in touch and thank you for doing real work to make this world a better place.